This is Behind the DM Screen. It is September of 2018, and we are three DMs talking about our games and helping each other out, and that's all the intro you get. Oh, yeah, uh, we have Mike Shea and James... James? No. Mike Shea and Sam Dillon, and I'm Jeff Griner. Say hi, everybody. Mike Shea and, you know, whoever. And whoever. Yeah, some guy, some other guy. <laughs> some other dude. <laughs> I love you, Sam. Yeah, yeah, sure. Without Sam, everybody would be waiting a lot longer to hear these episodes, so. Yeah, they already wait a long time anyway, so, you know. <laughs> it would be longer if I had to do all the editing uh, and posting, so. Yeah. There we go. Anyway, um, let's go ahead and get started. I am up first on the list this time around, so I will put 15 minutes on the clock. I will tell you about my game, and then you guys can tell me why I suck. Ready? <laughs> Okay, so um, the last time we met, I was talking about how my game had ended uh, in, we're doing the the Out of the Abyss um, storyline within my large sort of melange of storylines that I've mashed up together, right? Uh, We're pretty firmly into an Out of the Abyss section, and so they were at uh, Araj, which is uh, the drow wizard Vizaren, um, his tower in the Underdark. And he was sort of laying out his juxt- his exposition of, hey, here's here's what's going on, and here's the ritual we're going to do, and here's all the, all the MacGuffins I need you to run out and go get, right? He gives them the shopping list, and that's sort of where we this left is, off. This is like in the second half of it, right? This like after you met half, with yeah. Runor and all that stuff? Yep. Okay. Yeah. And I was actually having a conversation re- recently, and I thought of you, uh, Mr. Shea, because... Um, Somebody was asking about whether they should do the same sort of thing you did and just stop at the halfway point or whether they should go on to the second half. Uh, and my assessment so far is that I am actually enjoying the second half way more than I did the first half. Like there's huh. a, a lot more interesting variety of things going on and the encounters are doing uh, more interesting things. Like it's a pretty straightforward plot line. Go out and collect the, the stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there, but the places you're going and the things you're doing are, are playing out really well for me. One of my favorite sessions, one of, my, I, one of the sessions I came out of feeling the best about uh, in running 5th edition D&D was the session I just had uh, last time when they were doing part of this thing. So uh, anyway, so so Vizarin gives them the, the laundry list. Go out and get these things. Uh, step one, go to the labyrinth, which is sort of this maze area of the Underdark because it's under the influence of this um, thing that the the Modrons call an orderer, and that the the game calls a maze engine. So it's this it's this sort of uh, device that imposes law and order on its surroundings, and so it's turned the the twisting tunnels of the Underdark into this actual sort of labyrinthine maze. Um, it just so happens that with the demon lords around, uh, Baphomet has taken up residence in the maze, which makes sense, you know, minotaurs and mazes and all that. Uh, and Yonogu is also there in the maze because Yonogu doesn't like Baphomet and is using this as an opportunity to hunt him down and try to kill him. Uh, and so the maze is largely populated by, by Minotaurs with, and Baphomet and his allies and Yonogu and Knowles, which, by the way, turned out to be a really good thing that I had Volo's guide because having 13th level characters go up against even the most powerful monster, monster manual Knoll 
is like a yawn fest, right? Oh, yeah. But being able to pull all the, the other more interesting gnolls out of um, out of Volo's guide helped a lot. Uh, I also put a twist on it based on a, a conversation I was getting into um, a while back, actually, on um, the Out of the Abyss Facebook group, DM Facebook group there. Um, somebody was asking about using this as an opportunity to inject the the blood war into the whole storyline a little bit and have a faction of de- devils around as well. Uh, so that gave me an opportunity to say, hey, minotaurs and gnolls are not an, a, a worthwhile threat for PCs at this level. Um, the, the, the DCs to find your way and not get lost in the maze are not adequately high enough to make it challenging. Although even if it was, it would just make it take longer and be more of a slog. So I threw in this whole devil thing and brought in more demons um, to you know to bolster the ranks, and it became a lot more interesting there. And then I had to, instead of just having them make a, a single check each day to sort of not lose their way and then check for random encounters, I had them roll um, to not lose their way and then to avoid the encounters. So the encounters were there regardless. It was just a matter of do they discover the encounter first or do they sort of stumble upon it, right? Mm-hmm. Which worked out really well because, like, more than half the time when they discovered the encounter first and could have completely avoided it, they're like, no, that looks interesting. Let's go into it. Right? So they still ended up having those encounters that made the whole thing interesting. And rather than randomly roll the encounters, I just looked at the options and made a list in order of most interesting to least interesting and just sort of ran through them in that order. Um, and that went really well and made it a lot more fun because then we did all the, the fun things, right? We found the, the Darren's Instant Fortress and we found the, the rogue Modrons wandering around and we did the whole crazy maze engine thing that really has nothing to do with the larger storyline, um, you know, but we got to do all those fun things. Hmm. And then I was able to use it too. The maze engine ended up becoming uh, an important component because it's a, a device of law and order, right? It ended up becoming an important component to... Um, to helping them start to put pieces of the Rod of Seven Parts together, which is the other uh, one of the other storylines we're dealing with right now. And the Rod of Seven Parts is an artifact of uh, uh, extreme lawfulness, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so having the Orderer there, having the Maze Engine there, and having the, the pieces of the Rod there, I used, you know, I, I did a whole thing where they could try to put together the pieces of the Rod using the energy of the Maze Engine while the de- devils and demons were flying around above because they were down in this crevasse, you know, suspended over lava and there's demons and devils flying around uh, fighting each other uh, and the party while they're trying to conduct this ritual to, to join up the rod. And at least at least until they, they activated the part of the maze engine that dis, that um, banishes all uh, extra planar creatures within a hundred mile radius, mm-hmm. um, which also becomes a, a big thing, right? Because now all of a sudden the whole Baphomet Yonogu fight is, is very different, right? Because everybody's gone. Right. Uh, so that went really well. Um, the the there's an encounter uh, a location I guess that for one of the MacGuffins they need, which is uh, was six angel feathers, where they go and find the the petrified angels. Uh, they've been petrified like by a curse from the gods, sort of thing, and they can never be unpetrified. But and when when you touch them, you get a a quick like sort of psychic impression of who they are, and they start saying things to you, and you get some sort of benefit or. Or, you know, curse or whatever it is based on, on which one it is and where they're at and what's going on as you pull the feather. Uh, and so they they seem to really enjoy that. They each have a name and so it, it becomes pretty evocative. Plus, they were able to pull an extra feather and use that as a component for connecting the Rod of Seven Parts. So, so it all tied together. 
Mm-hmm. And I also enjoy using the Modrons because I have a... Like, it's very clear to me that Watsi has been sneaking Modrons into all of the adventures. So, like, since the beginning, there's been, mm-hmm. like, a random Modron in there. And I'm convinced that in the... In the next year or two, they're going to announce the Great Modron Maze as, or the Great Modron March, as a as the new as a new storyline uh, that will take you through the planes, and the Modrons will become important to that. Mm. So, anyway, so I so I wanted to throw that at my players too. Uh, it also gave me a chance to introduce them because one of the things that happens with the Maze Engine is that um, if because every round you roll a, a percentile die and a random thing happens. Um, one of the random things that happened was a magic item appearing. And the magic item that I had appear um, ended up being one of the vestiges of divergence. Are you familiar with those from the Taldori campaign? Uh, what are they called? The vestiges of divergence. They're from Critical mm-hmm. Role and, and the Taldori campaign setting is what they is the campaign setting they made for that. Yeah. I've heard of them. I don't I don't know any specific details about yeah. that particular one. So, so there are neat um, items, basically, where you collect them and they're powerful and whatever. And I made this whole thing because they actually met um, the the Hindu god Brahma, who is the creator. And so Brahma sort of hinted to them that he, he, he's already created items specifically for them to help them. Um, and some of them they'd already run into and some of them they hadn't because, of course, time is, not, is different when you're talking to an immortal being like that. Um, and so the, the implication is that these vestiges of divergence are Brahma's um, creations that he specifically designed for them to thank them for the thing that he di- they did in terms of saving him earlier. But that was a whole thing. Anyway, they, they're items that grow. Uh, and so there's like three or four levels to each one. Uh, and as characters hit sort of milestones... Um, they then the items grow bigger. It could be getting revenge on a, on an enemy, but it could also be some sort of personal character sort of milestone. You know, coming to accept the the death of your parents or you know that kind of stuff, right? So at this point now, I give out the crossbow, and all but one party member has uh, uh, one of the vestiges. Um, so they finish up that they get out of the labyrinth, and as soon as they exit the labyrinth, they run into a group of myconids on parade, basically through the underdark, and they discover that there are hundreds, if not thousands, of myconids on parade through the underdark, and it is time for the fetid wedding. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if you remember the Out of the Abyss storyline with the fetid wedding, uh, yep. but basically oh, Zug- yeah. Zugtmoy is marrying this giant, like size of South America fungus in the underdark, right? Um, and her goal is if I marry this fungus, I can use its power and increase my power through it uh, and send spores all throughout the world and send put everybody under my dominance, right? Uh, and that, inca- that whole scenario actually ended up being way more interesting than I remembered it from when I read it for our review. Because um, it has this whole thing where like you have to go into the mind of Amarakios, which or whatever, however you pronounce the big fungus things, name. Um, but the way they do that is the mind actually exists sort of on the astral plane, uh, and so one of the myconids that is your ally actually helps you sort of enter this sort of trance and go into the 
the astral plane where you have to, you know, you're momentarily confronted with Zugtmoy and then she's distracted and, and disappears. And then you have to cut out the, the, in, the corruption in the form of an Evard's black tentacles in part of the brain that you have to sort of destroy while it's trying to, you know, beat you down and, uh, you know, they give it some hit points and whatever. Right. Uh, but that ended up being really interesting because suddenly going into the astral plane is a nice sort of change of pace. Right, it's a very different sort of encounter. It has different dynamics. I played it out a little differently. I think normally when you go into the astral plane, based on the actual astral projection spell, you take like your equipment and stuff with you. Um, I had them show up without any of that stuff. So all they had was their bare hands and their their spells that were in their mind. Right, but it wasn't really a very difficult encounter anyway. Like you confront Zugmoy and then she runs away, and then you fight an Everard's Black Tentacles, and it's not really you know I wasn't too worried about it being being too hard for him Mm -hmm. um but it was really fun it was really interesting and they were like really into it and then um really interested in getting out once they had done what they needed to do because they knew um that the reason Zugmoy was pulled out was she was distracted because she was fighting Jewablex. Jewablex had showed up to disrupt the wedding Mm-hmm. Uh, and and destroy Zugtamoy. And they're like, oh, this is going to be perfect because we can jump into the middle because one of the things they need to get for, for the ritual is the blood or ichor of a demon lord. Well, they're thinking, great, let them fight it out. We'll just sneak in, grab some blood, and get out. Right? right? With, a, with a test tube. Yeah. Right. And so they run in, and there's Jewablex, uh, you know, which is this giant demon lord ooze thing, already consuming the, the dead corpse of Zugtamoy. Jewablex is already won. By the time mm-hmm. they show up, and that's where the 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 session ended, and they're like, "Oh crap!" Like Zuntmoy just won, and now it's facing off with us, and we still need the Icker, so we gotta fight it, you know? Yeah. What what level are they? Uh, thirteen or fourteen. I wonder if they'll be able to take Jubilex. Jubilex. I think they will, and even if. Are you gonna weak? Like, there's a bunch of stuff in the book about weakening it. Yeah. So. But it might be fun to just run it as is. Well, especially given the whole like. They're feeling cocky because, hey, we were 11th level or 12th level and we killed Orcus thing. Yeah. Uh, I kind of want to, you know, it, it does, there is an appeal to like knocking them down a peg there. And I've sort of, in my mind, I've built a different story for that, for that Orcus thing as well because there were, what, I did not play him um, to his maximum potential. Um, and so. And he ultimately wasn't really destroyed. He was absorbed. His power was absorbed by them and is now living inside of a Rakshasa through a deal that they made. So, so far as I'm concerned, Orcus meant to lose that fight, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, this was all part of his plan. And now he's got the perfect hiding place where nobody can mess with him while he continues his machinations. Mm-hmm. And that'll go brilliantly in the, in the final encounter when they summon all the demon lords and the Rakshasas. Like, holy crap, what am I doing here? And then like explodes and Orcus comes out. I think that'll be fun, mm-hmm. <laughs> and maybe still, you know, freak the, the players out a little bit. Uh, in the meantime, I had um, through in between sessions, I had a, a brief encounter with uh, with uh, a session, I guess, with one of my players who um, basically had a a moment of of uh, it's not really a vision. Uh, I was inspired by um, a Dresden Files book because whenever I read those books, I, I find things to stick in my D and D game. Um, and it was basically him having a conversation with another part of his own mind, like his his id or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so within the like second and a half 
of being, holy crap, there's Druiblacks, uh, he had this sort of conversation with his id and, and cleared up some of the, the misconceptions, like laid out some of the mysteries, like did some exposition and, and, you know, you already knew this, but you're so busy being distracted, you're a big idiot, let me, you know, let me walk you through it, you know, sort of thing, right? And of course, he's just calling himself a big idiot, but whatever. But one of the things that he discovered was that uh, this is the same character who died in the fight with Orcus, but was pulled out by Frazer Blue. And spent mm-hmm. 50 years in the abyss training, retraining mm. to be a wizard under Frazer awesome. Blue. And came back as an illusionist. Um, but it wasn't 50 years for the rest of the party, of course, because time works differently in the planes. Mm. So he was gone for, uh, you know, like a, a few weeks for them. But it was 50 years for him. And he comes back a completely different person with a different class. But he still remembers them and all this kind of stuff. And he's secretly got his own plots going on where he's... Uh, secretly tasked with performing his own ritual and collecting components to to re-summon Frazer Blue back to the world. Uh, mm-hmm. So so that's what's going on. But he in his vision, one of the things he figured out is uh, I sort of, um, because we just sort of skipped through the 50 years, I sort of threw in, yeah, you know, during that 50-year training period when Frazer Blue had you sneak into the... the um, the Emperor of the Empire of the Ghouls. I've took that, taken that out of um, Midgard from Cobalt Press and stuck it in my world at one mm-hmm. point. Uh, remember when, when Frazer Blue had to sneak in there and steal the Emperor's cloak and, and escape to see if, you, if your illusions were good enough? Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out um, you've been wearing that cloak all along. Fraz just put an illusion on it so you didn't realize it. Um, and it's and it's it's one of the vestiges. So now all, everybody has a vestige. But also he's discovered, yeah. But the emperor of the the Ghoul Empire is going to be pissed because I stole his cloak and it was a major <laughs> artifact, you know. <laughs> so I've I've simultaneously created a new a new villain or inserted a new villain, um, and everybody has a vestige now because now I can focus on how do you what personal things can I do to to make them grow for each character. Uh, and that's the part where I think it's going to be tricky. If I had time, that's what I would ask about is what can I do to, to help them sort of build that and, and, and what have you. But I've got some ideas and I'll, I'll be okay and my time is, is over. So you guys have questions for me before I move on? I'm, I'm just looking over Jewablix's Ju- stat block <laughs> to see how, how what can, tough it what, is. What can I do to, to kick their butt? Well, so two easy things. I got two two dirty tricks that I think work really well. One is start, you know, just in your mind to know what its maximum hit points is, which is 28. Hang on, math. Math is hard. That's right, because the, <laughs> this, the um, stat block lists the average, not the maximum. That's right. And you have full, according to Crawford, full authority to maximize that if you want. All right. Uh, it has, so 500. It's 504. So you can you know, keep its max hit points in mind, and that way, when it hits 350, if that feels right, you can have him die. Or if you want him to stick around, you can have it go up to about 504 and still be within spec. Right. You can, you can of course, just cheat as much as you want and go higher than 500 oh, if you want. <laughs> um, the other trick, which is rougher, is maximizing damage. So you, do you roll for damage? Like I, a, usually, like I a, usually do, yes. Chariot? So... Um, uh, if you want to roll for damage, then just double the double the dice. So 46 plus 7 turns into 86 plus 7 for its acid lash attack. That's a lot of um, sixes for every attack. <laughs> right. So then instead you could just say, okay, we'll take, uh, so it's tw- uh, what is it, 7, 14. So 7 plus 14 is 21. So you could do 46 plus 21 instead. 
So, so how did you get that? How did you get the twenty one? Well, so, so you know, there's there's two ways. You essentially either double the dice or you double the you you uh, maximize what its damage is. So the maximum amount of damage it would do is uh, thirty one points. Uh-huh. Um, so you could just say it does thirty one points, but if you want to add dice in there. Then you do like 46 plus 21, which is probably a little higher than 31 on the average. Okay. Um, so you're giving but, a little, a little, a little less dice because it was norm. It was originally what? 46 plus seven. So you're just saying we're going to keep the 46 and then and then boost the boost the seven. You know, just I give see. it a bonus, and and it means that your average. No, so that will spike higher. So that will actually go outside of the range of its potential damage. Uh huh. Um, but uh, its average will be a higher average than the average that's listed. So just boost the damage. Give it an extra, yeah. give it plus 20 damage. Right. On every attack. And that'll hit like a freight train, right? And then people will be scared to death. Right. When they're getting hit, when they're getting hit for 35 three times in a round. There you, you go. Know, it's a lot of damage. And then and I can, uh, then, then when they freak out and they're on death's door, I can say, oh, okay, maybe we don't need to maximize the hit points. And I can just sort of do that on the fly. Yeah, right. And, it, and you can also start tweaking the damage down a little bit. It's easier to see that you're cheating on damage than it is to see that you're cheating on hit points. So you got to be careful with that. Right. Um, and then you can. <laughs> so one thing I noticed is like he can do it can do acid splash as a legendary, mm-hmm. and that's pretty good. Um, but the acid lash attack is way more damage. Mm. Um, so you could maximize the, the damage on acid splash, uh, which is normally three D. I guess seventeenth level, so it's forty six. So that's 21 point average. You could max that out to 30, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, four times six, 24 points. Right. So yeah, I like I like boosting damage or boosting hit points. Those are the easiest things to do, and they have the biggest effect on the difficulty of uh-huh. the encounter. Yeah, the place where I really fell down on Orcus was not using his spell like abilities to to the, his maximum potential because he can effectively pull off uh, what is it like power word kill. You know, he can, if he's in like, his lair, he can like, like, ice around. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. But that is in his lair. And I don't think, in, I think in out of the abyss, they're automatically not in their lair. Right. Um, but even then, so he could have been, he could have been doing thing, it once around, you know? Yeah. The other thing you could do is give it like, like, like it has a spell. Like, so one thing I noticed about Jubilix is that it's most damaging stuff. The stuff that's going to have the biggest threat to characters is Acid Lash because it, it, it does a lot of damage. Um, but it's got spells like Blight and Contagion and stuff, and, and those are fun. Um, I would let it do a couple of Acid Lash attacks and a spell. Right? I'd give it a little more, particularly if you have more than four characters. Do you have more than four characters? Uh, not usually, no. Okay, so if it's four, that's going to be a pretty good threat. Like, you know, I'm, I'm usually fighting five or six people, and, right. and the, the that output is a lot higher. So, yeah, give yourself some flexibility to increase the damage. Maybe get let it do spells as as one of its attacks instead of as all of its attacks uh-huh, uh-huh. like it's got that eject slime where it can do like a 55 damage attack you know i would let it do an acid lash attack on top of that right on but yeah that's the those are the easy ones to do just get more actions more damage more hit points okay as the easy cheat for anything yeah, and i think part of the trick is uh like I was unprepared for Orcus because I thought, well, there's no way they're going to go after that option. Like, they have yeah. five different options to handle this. What, what are the odds <laughs> are going to go say, hey, let's go kill Orcus, right? So I Orcus, did, Orcus, Orcus last word. Right, so I didn't study the stat block. I was, like, looking right. at it in the middle of the encounter trying to figure out how to make it work. So I just, Orcus I just is significantly more difficult, too. Yeah. Like, just, a more, more complicated. Yeah. Ju- Duplex, to... you can get away with just having to do a bunch of acid lash attacks. It would actually be kind of boring. 
Well, yeah, and, it's like, and, wow, it slapped you three times for 95 points of damage. You're like, the, wow, that sucks, but, yeah. you know. The thing about Orcus was that if you are if you don't study the stat block and figure out exactly how he's supposed to function, he he comes off as a bit of a brute who just, like, comes up and smashes things with his, with his maze. Right. right, which isn't really that effective. Right. Because of all his spells and spell abilities. It's all quite right. a trick simplifying, simplifying Orcus, too. Like that, some of the things that he would normally do as an action, you could just have him, have him do. Have him do, yeah. Uh, like his necrotic, you know, the fact that everybody's vulnerable to necrotic and all necrotic resistance is removed. You just do that. There you go. All right. Well, that's good advice. I've jotted down some notes. I'll have to make sure to remember them because uh, we're hopefully playing this weekend. We were supposed to play last weekend, but then, you know, a hurricane happened. So <laughs> <laughs> Stupid hurricane. I'm glad you're safe. Yes. Everybody, I, I think I'm pretty sure everybody got out okay. So. Okay. Yeah, um, I mean, we're in Raleigh, and it ended up not being nearly as scary in Raleigh as they were expecting it to be. So it went further south and around us. Okay. So uh, before we allow Mike to have his oh. time, uh, it is time to mention our first sponsor, Noble Knight. Noble Knight is our longest-running uh, supporter here on the Tome Show. They've been uh, sponsoring us for a very long time, for many, many years now. My pick for this episode of the all the new and uh, used things that you can get there, they have the Taldori campaign setting from Critical Role that I was mentioning that I've been using the Vestiges of Divergence from. Uh, it's got lots of really cool ideas in there. Um, I'm, I've, I've been listening to the Critical Role um, shows as a podcast recently, and now all of a sudden the stuff that I read about Taldori makes even more sense. Um, but as a standalone campaign setting, it's got a lot going on there that's really good. And through Noble Knight, they have both a new ver- a, a cop- copies of it new for uh, $5 under the retail price. But they also have a near mint copy that is $10 under the, the normal price if you wanted to get it a little bit cheaper. So it is a good example of both how you can get new things and use things from Noble Knight. It's me, Snark. I don't really like Noble Knights that much, but NobleKnight.com is okay by me. You know why? They got tons of products for me where I can just be hiding in dungeons and stuff like that. Also, it's it's really, really cool. I get to find all these bestiaries that I can fill my dungeon with and all kinds of goblin miniatures. So check out Noble Knight. They'll even buy old gaming products that you aren't using anymore, and they're awesome. NobleKnight.com. Make sure you tell them the Tome Show sent you. All right. Michael Horatio Shea. That is not my middle name. It is now. Okay. You've got 15 minutes. Go. Uh, I am running Tomb of Annihilation. Uh, I'm running two groups through it, my my Sunday group and my Wednesday group. Uh, Both are roughly the same spot. Uh, The main difference is that the Sunday group has already taken care of the Fane of the Night Serpent. Um, and the Wednesday group has not yet done that, but has gone through more of the um, uh, trickster god temples. Uh, so I think both of them, one one group has completed all of the trickster god temples, the Sunday group. I think the Sunday group is actually now ahead, and they will be further ahead because I'm going to have two sessions with them, and my Wednesday group is off for two sessions. So, so, no, so I, on, I got about a month on. different between the two, yeah. For the listeners, and totally not for me, because I remember all of this perfectly. Right. <laughs> uh, you're in the city of Omu, yes, sorry. Uh, city which is, which is the location city. of the the actual temple, the tomb right. of the annihilation tomb. of the yes. tomb. Yes. Um, 
and in order to get into it, you have to visit these the temples. Yeah, of you these need nine. Spirits. You need nine cubes, and the cubes were placed there by a Sararak in these nine temples of the trickster gods. Right, which are the and original each... trickster gods. Now, what what is the 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 what would you say the temple or the tomb of the night serpent? What is that? Uh, so the fane of the night serpent is yes. where the Yuanti are hanging out in Omu. That's Rasnisi's so, place. Rasnisi and his guys, yeah, and okay. um. And there's another group, which is the Red Wizards of Fae, are also here. So I have had, I, 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 I further refined the idea that essentially three groups are going after the cubes. The Red Wizards, the, the Yuanti, and the party. And in, in and, you know, I'm slight, I'm making slight, I, I never know like where the adventure ends and I start. So some <laughs> of this might be in there and some of it might not be. But in my version uh, Ross Nisi has only one cube and knows he only needs one cube because he has no intention of going down into the tomb. That's not his goal. His goal is to give it to a group that will go down there and take care of it because he doesn't want to die. Right. Right. So he, he wants to sort of ally with a group to do this, but he wants control over them too. He doesn't want to just let somebody else do it. He wants, he wants to get involved. Um, and meanwhile, the red wizards also want to go down there. And so they've been trying to collect cubes as well. But in my version, they have been crippled by their fight with the Yuanti. So they don't have enough people or of, of, of a significant enough quality to go down there and actually do it. So they kind of need the party, too. So in, in my version, these two factions are both evil dicks, but um, they both have a reason for the to, to sort of support the party and going down into the tomb. Mm. And that gives the party an opportunity to either kill him and get the cubes, steal the cubes, or ally with them and get the cubes. But neither group wants him to ally with the other. So the, the they, you know, the, the, the Yuanti won't, it, you know, doesn't want the group to ally with the Red Wizards and vice versa. Uh, to kind of add to this, uh, I brought Valindra Shadow Mantle into Omu. So a Valindra Shadow Mantle is a lich that works for Zas Tam and is in the in uh, Cholt trying to do, deal with this as well, I take it. I, I don't remember if that's her exact motivation. She, I'm pretty sure it is. Right? Wasn't she like li hanging out in the heart or something? Yeah, she's hanging out in the heart of Uptow, but neither of my groups actually went to the heart of Uptow. So right. I said, okay, well, she's kind of hanging out in, in Omu. I mean, and, I don't know why she would just sit there and wait anyway. So. Right. So, you know, my villains do stuff. They don't just hang out. So um, <laughs> she is kind of wandering around in Omu sort of trying to figure out what to do about the, the thing. In mine, she can't go down there. She can't go, you know, to, you know if, if she steps in there, a Sararak will just rip her to pieces. So she doesn't want to go down in the tomb. She needs people to go down in the tomb. But she's also like one of the three most dangerous things walking around in Omu, which means she could just walk around by herself. And she does. She has these little dainty slippers and her pretty robes. And she wanders around in like the worst city in, in, in you know, Toral. And the party's like, wow, look at her. She's walking around and like the assassin vines aren't killing her. And she doesn't have throat leeches. She must be special. Right. And, <laughs> um, and she is right. So she, in both my, both my groups, she's, she's had dialogue with the party. So one of the interesting things I'm doing is I'm trying to ensure that even when you have these groups that are evil, there are always options to deal with them using basically any of the three pillars. Mm -hmm. You know, you can negotiate with them. You can steal from them or, or try to, stealth your way around them or, or somehow try to get your thing across and you can go and fight and beat them. Um, and I think those offer like interesting, that makes them much more interesting than just like go in and clear out the Yuanti and, and pick up a cube at the end. Mm -hmm. uh, even if it ends up that way, you still have that option. The other thing I do is I try to have factions that exist within the organizations. So in, um, 
uh, for the Red Wizards of Thay, there was a rogue adventuring group known as the Gravekin that were mercenaries in the hire of the Red Wizards. And they were the champion group that was going to go down there. But they don't have the cubes either. And they say, we're going to go after the party and kill them and get their cubes. And then Valindra will let us go down there and do this for her and we'll get rich. Right? So now... But and, and Valindra's like, well, so now I've got two groups that could potentially go down there. The characters, uh, you know, whatever the party is, and the Gravekin. I'll let them figure out who the hell's going down there. I'll let them fight each other or whatever. And whichever group is, survives, they can go down there. So that, that added, like, another interesting take on how the Red Wizards are determining who goes down there. And this other third faction of, of Red Wizard mercenaries that aren't totally loyal to the Red Wizards. And then... Because they're also not loyal, it means if the party happens to grab one and, and shake them down for information, they can find out a lot more about Valindra and the Red Wizards. Um, likewise, for the Yuanti, uh, there are two factions there, too. That, and this is in the book, that there's Fenthaza, who is a night speaker, which is like a priestess of the Night Serpent, and Rasnisi. And Fenthaza's not dying, and she thinks Rasnisi's kind of weak because he is dying. And she also is much more interested in trying to figure out how to open up the, the gateway that will bring in the Night Serpent than she is about destroying the Tomb of the Nine Gods and, or destroying the, uh, the, the Soulmonger. Mm. Um, so that now opens up. And, and in both groups, I have somebody who like knows about Fenthaza and has reasons to speak to her instead of just stabbing her to death. So it's, there, there, are, there are options for them to ally with one group or the other. And, and they know like they're dealing with something that might even be worse than you know, um, then the, the, you know, whatever the hell is down in the Tomb of the Nine Gods. So in one case, like, Fenthaza took one of the characters and teleported him to the doors and said, the only one who can open these doors and get the Night Serpent in here is you. And let me tell you why that's a better deal than what you're going to get if you go down to the tomb. And it's because if you go down to the tomb, you're going to die. And that creature that, that that's down there that's getting fed by souls will destroy every single living thing on the planet. Now, if you release the Night Serpent, he will be able to destroy that thing. And all you have to do is you know, people will will be under the tyrannical rule of the night serpent, but they will be alive. So which is better? <laughs> <laughs> and the party's like, wow, that sucks. That's a terrible choice. So oh, um, that's the idea, right? You know, it's really hard to be like the, the, the interesting question is, why is it a good idea to let the night serpent free? You know, like, why would right. that be a, a how, how do you sell that to the players so that they're like, yeah, that's not, you know. That's okay. And it was sort of like in Curse of Strahd. It's like, what kind of deal could Strahd offer the players that they would actually be like, oh, yeah, I'll do that. I'll, 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 I'll do what Strahd wants. That seems, that seems fair. remind me, the Night Serpent is, is Dindar the Night Serpent? Yeah, Dindar the Night Serpent, right? Which is this, like, world-eating serpent. Right. So that's, that's the thing about Dindar. Like, I don't even know that living under Dindar means living under his tyrannical rule. I've or, yeah. like, Well, that's what she's selling it as. She's right. selling it as Dindar. He doesn't really come in here and eat planets. That's just, you know, fake news. Right. I he's, mean, he's really, uh, you know, he'll, he'll, you know, you'll have to serve fealty to him. I had but a, he just wants to be here. I had a campaign once that featured Dindar still sort of in his stasis, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, and the way I depicted Dindar was, oh, Dindar's the Tarasque, right? That's yeah, right. He's a, a, a complete destructive force. Right. Yeah. But that doesn't explain why the Yuanti would want him to show up. Like they don't want to just get eaten. So well, I don't know. Anyway, you know. I'm playing. I'm playing with the lore there. Just you on C are are known to be fairly apocalyptic. So I, I guess yeah, they're they're gods. They love hoarding over people. So I don't know. Anyway, and and we'll see. I, I have a feeling that that's not that's not how it's going to end up. Right. Um. 
So, uh, so now let me talk about some of the difficulties I'm having. Uh, one difficulty I'm having is that the group, my Sunday group, has already... Oh, so here's the fun bit. They fought Ross Nisi and killed him. Phantaz uh, is out there somewhere, but they don't really know where. And she's, you know, she might pop back in. She might never show up again. I don't know how that's going to work out. She did try to offer this deal to one of the characters saying, if you open those gateways, that'll stop whatever's down there. And it's a 100% guarantee. Whereas you guys going down there trying to stop it yourselves is going to fail. Um, but now they have to get the final two cubes from Valindra Shadow Mantle and the Red Wizards of Fae. Uh, you know that are in, that are here in Omu, and one of the characters is absolutely opposed to any deal at all with the Red Wizards, and it and it puts you in this situation of like, well, if you go talk to Valindra and your goal is like, f you, and you attack, you're fighting a lich, <laughs> at level seven. Okay, right. like this might go poorly for you, and um, yes, yeah, so I don't. I, it's I, I hate to put insurmountable villains in front of the characters and force them to ally with them. Because I don't like, um, I just I don't like that you you're basically removing all agency from the characters. Sure. Like, I, they can't. I don't get a choice. Like this guy, it's it's like the blue dragon in the beginning of uh, Horde of the Dragon Queen. Well, you know, it could breathe on us once and kill us all. So I guess we have to do whatever it says. Right. And it's same same situation. But I think the way around it that I have is there's that big ass obelisk that's in the camp, and there's a Nalfishni trapped in the obelisk. Right. And if the players figure that out. And they say, if this goes south, we're breaking that obelisk. And now Valinder is going to have to deal with the Nalfish knee. You know, that adds a whole new sort of variable into the combat right. that could go really badly or could work out. Um, I mean, they don't have to side with Valinder, do they? Well, so they have to get the cubes. So they, the other Does Valinder have a cube? Yeah. In, my, in mine, the Red Wizards already uh. captured. The, 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 the Gravekin already got two of the cubes. So they already know that they're taken, and they know exactly where they are. They know that Valinda has a little black lacquer box in her crazy tent that's bigger on the inside. So, that, so they have to, to steal it, kill her, so or make a deal. Or fight her, or make a deal. Yeah, and that's, that, that to me is like your three-pillar solution, right? right. You can fight your way in uh, and, and maybe get him, but it'll be hard. Or you can sneak in, and, and you're, you know, it's going to require a whole bunch of stuff. You can't just do like one stealth check and you have the things. And it's not like Valindra Shadow Mantle doesn't have a black box that's protected out the ass. Right. Um, and uh, uh, Or you can negotiate with her. And frankly, the negotiation with her is not hard. The hardest part is getting over the fact that you're negotiating with the Red Wizards of Fae. Well, her thing is, like, I will give you whatever you want, and I'll give you the cubes, and you go down there. The only thing I want in return is that you have to bring some of the liquid that's inside of the Soulmonger. I need that. I need, I need a piece of it. I mean, so that's not a... And my other, my Wednesday group is like, oh yeah, that's fine. And she's like, oh, and I'll have to put a geese on you to make sure you do that. And like, yeah, no problem. What do we need to do? You know, like, I'm, sure, go ahead and put a geese. Well, on. and see, I, and see, I'm, I'm of the mind. Like, I don't even know that I'd put a geese on him, right? I mean, yeah, well, you totally go down there, make it. Well, sure, but make it seem like a, a no big deal thing, and then she follows them. Like they're clearing the path, and she's just following along. And then when they go up against the 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 big death baby at the end. Uh, spoiler alert! Uh, you know, then, then then she shows up and 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 blasts the hell out of him and takes whatever the fuck she wants. Yeah, that's an <laughs> option. But I also put in the lore that she can't really go down there without getting a Sarax wrath on her. Like no no other liches are really allowed inside of his tomb. Uh well. So maybe, I mean, there's no reason that so, couldn't happen. And so she maybe could send so, other people to go. So maybe it. she shows up. She doesn't blast it. Maybe she just shows up and wanders in and takes what she wants, and that brings down the wrath of a Sarak. And now. And then she leaves, and the party has to deal with the Sarak. 
Right. And and so I'm also at a disadvantage, but I have two weeks now to, to spend it where I haven't really fully read the whole every room of the Tomb of the Nine Gods. And I don't know things like can multiple groups be in there at the same time? I thought yeah. that like you put all the nine cubes in the doors open, you walk in and then they close and then you're in there and then someone would have to get all the cubes again. Yeah, but you know, and I don't think she can tell then. I know but, I can do whatever I want. You know, yeah, I'm trying to stay consistent. Yeah, yeah. and I don't know that. I mean, that... But but she could she could probably find a way to sneak in. You know. Yeah, yeah. I, guess. I mean, and she's like, a lich, right? Right. right. Well, but, and know, there's I, also. I mean, there's a... a problem. They're geese to do it. And they'll probably just do it because they're like, yeah, that's a small right. price to pay. There's also an implication in the story, though, that that they don't have to go into the dungeon and then just go nonstop until they finish it. Like they can come out of the, go in and out of the dungeon. I'm pretty sure. Isn't there? I don't know. Only if they, only if you get the cubes back. So that main entrance. Oh, do you have to go back and get the cubes all over again? Yeah. Because they disappear once they're used. Yeah. Once the door is open. Yeah. You're stuck in there. The door stays, the door stays open for a a limited. But you're not getting back out until you're yeah. Done. But the but the door stays open a limited amount of time, and then when it closes, the cubes disappear and they go back to their shrines. All right. right. And you got to go do a, their crazy funhouse crap again. Um. I just mean you know, Valindra can probably she could get sneak, away around it. She, she could sneak in after yeah. them without them knowing. Probably, probably yeah. she could. But I she, yeah, in my in my nomic. So this is the thing. She's real but, powerful. But why? But why things, would she? I would like right? to have limits. Yeah, well, I, why, I think that she, she should get a piece of it. I don't think she would. I think she needs to get a piece of it to give back to Zastam. I think he wants yeah, more. Yeah. No, I mean, I know what her goal is, but why would she sneak in? If she can get a party of dupes to do it. Yeah, right. That's her, her thing. Mind, she wouldn't follow them. Right. Yeah. And also she had no idea if they're going to succeed. They're probably well, going to die. Well, and, that, and, and that's that's where I'm at is that is that why would she trust a party of dupes to do it? Like, so why not have the insurance of I'll go in behind them invisible or whatever uh, well, and, sure, and make sure true. I get what I need, you know? She's already dead. She's got decades. You know, she can she could take yeah. forever to get this. Yeah, but Zaz isn't isn't known for being that patient. Oh, I'm sure he's got time. <laughs> he oh, he much. has time. That doesn't mean he's patient. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that's 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 um, th- th- that that whole situation is is kind of uh, fun. And and one thing that I've been very purposefully doing, and I've been talking a lot on Twitter about it, is like I've been very careful about making sure that scenes don't have clear outcomes. That like when they're facing Ross Nisi, it's a conversation, it's sneaking around, or it's fighting him. Mm-hmm. And I don't say like, oh, it's time for combat. Is it balanced? Is it you know, have all the right people at the right challenge rating? Like I was thinking about your your knolls, right? And I was looking at the um, like the random encounters that occur in the labyrinth area. Yeah. And, and one of them is like, here's a big pile of knolls, right? Right. And you're like, well, yeah, but knolls are going to be super easy for like a level 14 party. But so what? Right. <laughs> like, it's kind of fun to have a bunch of knolls and like one fireball blows them all away. Yeah, but not. But why would those gnolls be the gnolls hanging out with the demon lord Yanogu, right? Oh, well, so it's, it's <laughs> yeah, that's true. And he'd have like his top guys, right? Right. But it'd also be really fun if they turn and they see fifty gnolls, <laughs> sure. like huge numbers of gnolls that are kind of moving around. That said, one of the gnolls from I think it was from Volo's guide that has this the three headed flail, and each yeah, flail has a... this different effect. Like those things, like freaked the heck out of him. So that yeah. worked well. <laughs> so flind. I think it's a flind, right? Uh, Flynn, yeah, yeah. So I think I think I used uh, I think there were three of those in the the mix with Yonogu. I mean Yonogu like in that encounter runs off, and then they have to fight the gnolls off of the Garistro body so they can steal a tart. But right. um, but it was yeah, still they're, fun. They're challenge rating nine those guys. Yeah, so you still throw three of those and a and a handful of other gnolls at them. It turned out to be a, a I mean it wasn't hard, but it wasn't a, they weren't a pushover either. 
Yeah, and I just my, more and more these days, I'm thinking like if it, it's perfectly acceptable when it makes you know, I think more and more that everything is driven by the story. And like you said, like why would right. it make sense that the lowest level gnolls are hanging out with Yinagu, right. not, not his toughest guys, and that that makes perfect sense. Right. Um, the opposite is like, oh, I got to make sure it's a perfectly well balanced fight about you know with you know somewhere between four and seven monsters facing my group. Yeah. And you're like, but what if it's a hundred? <laughs> like, oh, I can't do that. I don't have a hundred. No minis? In the years that I have been playing 5th edition, I have never once even looked at the calculation for what an encounter yeah. is supposed to look like. I've I just thrown in what I've wanted and it works out. It seems to work out okay every yeah. time. Yeah. I try to I try to have a gauge in my head. We talked about this before. Well, I, I try I mean, to have a gauge in my head of yeah. like, is this going to kill him or is this okay? Right. You know, and then I, I, I've, yeah, I don't think I've used Cobalt Fight Club in months. No, I no. never used Cobalt Fight Club, but I used the calculation in the DMG oh, for for several months, knowing that it's kind of broken. But the, I didn't use it to make sure that it works. I used it so that I could learn to gauge my own. Yeah, you know right. what I mean? Yeah, and like, I, that's God why knows, you do. I did, and now I, did, I don't. Now I don't even yeah. have to look at it. Right. But, you know? I did it. I did a, a a ton of like spreadsheet work with all of the stuff that's in the DMG so that I could right. come up with a really simple formula that, that works yeah. easy. I, I didn't do it for that for necessarily for a formula, but I just did it so that I could get a gauge on yeah, right. the party that probably, I was running through, yeah, you know, and, of, and everything. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, I think in my overtime, did your last Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> so Mike's done. I want to mention our second sponsor of the episode is Dice Envy. They are a newer sponsor to the Tome Show, but they have some fantastic dice. I want to call out specifically, I've talked about their different subscription uh, services on different episodes at this point. I've talked about some of their metal dice. I want to call out this really cool looking set called the Tombstone Bone Dice. Uh, they're $12, and they're not actual bone. Uh, they're, they're plastic, but they're, <laughs> they're designed to sort of mimic the sort of... Um, almost sort of rubbery sort of porous nature of bone uh and they're colored you know they're sort of the off-white but they're like uh you know browned like they they're you know decaying or or burned or whatever sort of bone um it looks really cool they're 12 dollars, which is pretty good for for a unique dice set like this uh you can get it at dice envy along with many of their other dice and their subscription services so check that out over at diceenvy.com and let make sure they know that the tome show sent you there are a lot of subscription services out there that deliver things right to your door these days. Veggies, movies, meat, pet toys, artisanal jams, collectibles, RPGs, pictures of cool places, music, butter, dice. Wait, what? There is literally only one thing on that list that would make my life complete. A monthly subscription service for dice? Dice Envy has subscription services for dice. They send you a unique set every single month right to your house. Go check out their subscriptions. Or if you just want to go buy some of their unique and interesting dice, head over to DiceEnvy.com and let them know that the Tome Show sent you. Samuel J. Dillon. J. <laughs> Correct. This, this right, episode, J. your middle initial is J. Uh, you've got 15 minutes on the clock. Tell us about your game. So, well, as you know, I uh, I finished um, Tomb of Annihilation You're with my group. You're abbreviated Tomb. Yeah, sa sadly, my uh, my group moved away. Um, but uh, I I am now running a game uh, of Labyrinth Lord, which is a uh, basic D&D &D 
BX D&D retro clone. Um, I decided to go back old school because I couldn't find a good fifth edition group that could meet on the days I was available, but I did find these players that want to play Labyrinth Lord. So that's cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what I'm, what I'm running them through is a, a, a little slash not so little book called Barrow Maze Complete, which is by a guy named Greg Gillespie, who is um, actually also a professor up in Canada. And he actually teaches like pop culture and he teaches a class about RPG games and uh, he's an old school player. And, and he, he wrote this uh, sort of as an exercise in what is, how do you figure out what good design is and, and what works for your group and all the things that sort of hover around that. And it's a really, really, really great product. Um, and basically uh, it's, it's a mega dungeon, but it's not a mega dungeon that is uh, in multiple levels. It is actually a set of um, barrows that are uh, about five or six miles from this hinky little town and uh, and so you can plunder those smaller crypts, but a few of them have entrances down below where there is a one single level maze, but it is a humongous maze. And the farther you go in, the, of course, the more dangerous it will be. Uh, but it's not that you're going down levels like a traditional sort of mm-hmm. mega dungeon or or going up in the case of, you know, like a big tower or something. Mm-hmm. Um and it also has several entrance and exit points, so you can basically run it episodically, mm-hmm. where the group goes out, they leave town, they go out, they choose where they want to do their exploration, and they plunder what they can plunder, and they explore, and they do all these different things, and then they go back to town. And so I can actually have eight or ten players that are invited to the game, uh, and then on any, on any given game day which is once a week, uh, you know, if half of them show up, that's still enough to go. And uh, if seven of them show up, great. If only four of them show up, that's great. Uh, and and we run it through it. And the, the story of this place is that um, the uh, ancient evil god Nurgle has uh, two children, Orcus and Set. And when Nurgle died, uh, Orcus and Set um are now vying for control of his domain, which is, of course, you know, basically the undead. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there are all these different factions uh, running around this place. There's some necromancers of Sed, and there's acolytes of Orcus, and there's all these really cool, new and interesting creatures. Uh, and it runs really fast, and it runs really episodically, and it's it's a beautiful product. I, I recommend... Um, looking at it if you if you want to it's yeah, available I, on, on drive through rpg if you I apparently back the kickstarter i was just i was like i think i have yeah. this <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do yeah it is it it's is in my uh, enormous pile of pdfs that yeah I <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah 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 right yeah but it looks great no it's yeah. it's really good he had he has a couple of he has another product called the forbidden caverns of archaea which is a more traditional kind of giant castle kind of place but that but it still has uh, you know it comes with a little mini setting basically what he's doing is he took the old outdoor survival map that was the very first map that they used when they were starting to play games like the way that we play rpgs and he's sort of filling out sectors of that so that i think at the end he's going to have a huge map but he uh he also has a third product which has not been released yet that got kickstarted, and it's uh it's basically a floating uh castle on a floating earth moat, basically, uh, that is also now a mega dungeon. So, you know, he has he has his niche, you know, um, and he's very good at what he does, and it's very interesting, and it's really really fun to play, be- partly because it's almost no prep. You know, I-, I did my 
you know, I did the prep at the beginning to figure out how I was going to actually set it up and do it episodically and what are the NPCs in town and how do I want to set their personalities up and all that stuff. Uh, but basically, I, I come home from work and I and I do like 20 minutes of review and then I can run, you know, a three or four hour game and, you know, it, and it's it's just really nice and smooth. So mm-hmm. um, I wish I had, I you know, they, there is a fifth edition version of this. I'm, I'm actually using the Labyrinth Lord edition. There is a fifth edition edi- a version that I have as well, but I don't have a fifth edition group to run it through. And I also suspect it would be a little bit different um, just because fifth edition is not really meant to play the way that, old school D&D is meant right. to play is in a way uh, one of the things is you know healing and the and the possibility of death is so different um, that the games are just different now that's not to say it wouldn't work well it just wouldn't give me the feel I'm looking for for this product uh, I think they did a good job with the conversion um, it would be interesting if I had a fifth edition group that I tried to run through it and see how well it works and then I could actually directly compare but mm-hmm. I don't have that um, yeah, I wonder, so if I you wonder, if you would sorry. like to do that, uh, you know, give me an email and we could do something on Roll Twenty. <laughs> I, I wonder if if Five E can be stripped down to be more like that. Like if you put a bunch of the optional rules. So there's a lot a bunch of optional rules that aren't actually yeah that that people treat as though they're yeah, not yeah. optional. And you say right. like no feats and mm-hmm. no multi-classing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, there's, and, the, and there's only. also, and then, yeah, you know, when it get close yeah. to that feeling. Well, there's also, it's, there's also the healing rules, you know, like I already, mm-hmm. I already house rule like healing and, you know, it, like, like one of my house rules and I, and I talked about it on a, a post that, a, that somebody made um, last week. But uh, I, one of the things I do is when a, when a, um, anybody falls under a quarter of their HP, they're exhausted. They get a level of exhaustion mm. until they take a long rest. And or or if they if they drop to zero, they you know they get another level. And a short rest will kill one of those levels, but they can't go back to fully not exhausted until they've taken a long rest. Right. Um, and that makes it a little more you know it's a little more about resources at that point because right. you know yeah they have hit dice, but uh, no matter how many, short, you know, and the thing is, you can really, you know, by the rules, you're only supposed to take a long rest once every 24 hours. Right. So they're supposed to be taking short rests anyway, theoretically speaking, and spending those hit dice. It's even worse for them if they're exhausted, right? I mean, exhaustion is a horrible yeah, it's spiral. really rough. Yeah. And it, it puts the pressure on them, though, in a way that gets you um, s- sort of close to the old school kind of way of, of, of approaching the game, but not mm-hmm. quite. I mean, it still maintains its 5th edition uh, core. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, so there's lots of things, actually, that you can do. Yeah. Uh, and then, so I don't really have much to say about that. Uh, I, I I actually do have some things to say about that, but I, I'm trying to gather my thoughts and get them together. I think I'm going to save that how, for the next How, how many times have you, have you played with that group now? Uh, five. Okay, so you're a decent ways into it. Five five weeks. Well, um, yes and no. I like I said, I have some things that I want to discuss, but I, I want a couple more sessions before I do that. So I'm going to bring though I have sort a couple of things I'm going to bring up on the next behind the DM screen. So uh, there's a teaser for you now that you, now you know they'll listen to. Well, that. it's only it's only a few weeks away now because we're yeah, recording yeah, this one a little right. bit late. So <laughs> damn hurricane. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But uh, but I wanted to bring up the uh, the uh, topic that was brought up 
by um well, I don't, was it Teo Sabadia who brought it up for the well, first time? Well, so it was so James Intercasso, uh, okay. fr- friend of the show, James Intercasso, uh, p- like he likes to do, like throw out random questions on Twitter yeah. and Facebook and whatever. And his question who's, was, "Who's that guy? I've never heard right. of him." Uh, <laughs> he's a, yeah, he's an up and comer. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so he posted one of his sort of provoc- pro- trying to provoke people question of if what would you change about the rules in fifth edition D anD D if you had one rule you could change, and then Cam Banks responded with inspiration would be the thing he wanted to change, um, and I got involved in the conversation. Then Teos like ran with it and turned it into his his own whole thing as well. So, so I don't know so who the, you want to give ownership to, but that's sort of the layout of how it, how this all played out. Um, well, let's give ownership to to all of them. Yes. Um, because uh, I think they sort of they're they're what caused you to talk about it, and right. that's what you know. That's why what it's here. got what. Yeah, that's why it's here. So, uh, so so basically, the the question is, um, what do you do with inspiration to make it? something that so uh, the impression i get from just seeing the different comments is some people have the same problem i have i have two problems with inspiration my first problem with inspiration i've solved um but it went on for a long time before i sort of got in the groove i as a dm was having a hard time remembering to give the darn the darn things out okay that was that was the first problem that i had problem one um, that's problem one. And I, and I solved that problem within myself, within my own game, with my group, whatever. And uh, by just talking about it and trying to, you know, get the players to start prompting each other for, hey, you know, that was a great idea. You should get an inspiration for that. Mm-hmm. And then sort of looking at me and expecting me to do it. And that worked, right? Mm-hmm. Along with me, you know, just awareness is one thing, right? The second problem is if you do give it out, the players don't use it they hoard it mm-hmm. and but you, it's not really something to hoard because you can only ever have one so it's not even like they're hoarding a pile of these things they just they never use it they forget about it or they just don't they want to wait for that perfect moment and that perfect moment never comes right right uh it's sort of like uh, back in fourth edition holding your daily power back because you don't want to waste it if this guy isn't really worth it uh and then you end up not using it <laughs> Right, you know, and it's like, oh, I could, I could have used that, and, and that's what constantly what happens with inspiration, at least in my experience, right? And that's what happens with inspiration, um, or what happens is, uh, you know, because what what's really supposed to happen is, uh, you've got like five different options for how to use it, and really, people just use it to get an extra roll. Right. That's re- that's really it. And it really has no, you know, they, they've stopped, you know, or not put any effort into adding narrative to it or talking about. Uh, how you know how it makes the game how it could make the game cooler by you know causing this slight change in reality and creating a situation that's you know advantageous for the whole party or you know there's uh, lots of different ways to think about it but people aren't doing it is mm-hmm. I think the so I mean, there's two I mean or, two even if you problems. even if you listen to dice camera action or or I, that's how I listen to it or watch dice camera action like I don't think Chris Perkins is using inspiration. You know, and he helped make the game. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Uh, I so I you know so I wanted to have a conversation about it because I think it's important conversation because it is one of the new things that is in D and D that was not in previous editions, mm-hmm. and that doesn't get a lot of discussion. It doesn't get a lot of um, 
focus or scrutiny and maybe it should mm-hmm. you know may, may you know we and you know so there were just a few things that were innovative or new as pertains to D&D there's of course the advantage disadvantage mechanic right right and then there's uh, bonds flaws ideals uh-huh. right and and then there's inspiration and then there's inspiration those are basically the new things those those are your new things right and and i mean you know ta- you can talk about math you can talk about fiddly you can talk about you know the the, the right. linear you know all that stuff but all that's just math really the new stuff is advantage disadvantage ideals bonds flaws right and then the actual inspiration point that you can award people for playing to those or right. hinging on them or having some sort of awesome idea or great role playing you know, moment. And I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. I think those are the two problems. I said, I don't give them out enough. And part of the reason I don't give them out enough is because I know that once I give them out, the players don't use them. So what do you think, Mike? You were going to say something? Um, yeah. So a couple things. One is that I think, I think it's been stated by wizards. I think Mike Merles mentioned this, that that was one of the rules. He said there was, there, there were rules that kind of came in late in the game. And, and ones that were in there. And the way you could tell which ones that they'd spent a lot of time with and then the ones that were sort of tacked on was whether or not it had uh, heavy interrelationships with other parts of the game. And he said inspiration is one that you can clearly look at and you don't see anywhere else and it's not really tied to anything else. It's just sort of there. And, th- you know, I think one of the... They haven't directly said, like, we wish it wasn't there, but they definitely said, like, it's a, it's a, it was a tacked on thing. So if you don't like it, you could just not have it, right? It's like, it's a pretty small... It's a pretty small function. Well, and sure, but that's basically not, that's basically the status quo is of, of what's going right. on is that it's basically not there. Yeah. I think it's a really cool mechanic. I want to well, do I want to yeah, do more with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So and and then I think there's a million. I think you know. I think there's a million ways to do that, right? Like you you, you know, then I you, you can kind of house rule a bunch of different things. Um, and there's, I think on that thread on Twitter, there was a whole bunch of interesting suggestions that people have. People, you know, people in general love to tweak the hell out of the game. Mm-hmm. So here's a great opportunity to tweak the hell out of the game. I think I think you know one needs to be careful about thinking about how it balances everything else. Like, should they have more than the you know, how often do you give it out? How often does it reset? Um, mm-hmm. You know, can they hold more than one? You know, what other kinds of things? Yeah. Can they do? Well, uh, so I, here's. I, yeah. Go ahead. Well, so the only other thing is, um, if you look at Thirteenth um, Age and the uh, relationship connections. How they do the relationship connections? That mm-hmm. has a bunch of ideas about how to do that. Yeah. But frankly, that was really hard to use too. So, mm-hmm. so, well, so here's yeah. So here's why. Like I'll, yeah. I'll remember it when I remember it and I forget yeah. it. I, like, I mean, you and I talked about that relationship thing with Thirteenth Age and how great it is, but how it often fails. Yeah. Um, but I, I played for a year and I could never get it to work. Yeah. So I. So here's my thing about inspiration. Um, I, I have the same problem with it that I have with fate points when I tried to play Fate with a couple of my groups. Now, I, ha- I did also play Fate successfully, uh, and this was way back before Fate Core, you know, back uh, when Dresden Files RPG first came mm-hmm. out and, and, and when uh, Spirit of the Century was out and all that. Uh, and and I, I eventually figured out, you know, and it was a lot of it was about group dynamics within the players in my group. But here's the issue I had. The people I was initially trying to play these these fate games with in in fate you're supposed to have these fate points, and there's a kind of fate point economy. You're supposed to be giving fate, and then you know the player can use it and give it away, and and you know you use it to designate some narrative ideas in the scene or whatnot. Um, 
and it's supposed to be an economy. So they're supposed to go out, they're supposed to come in, it's supposed to be spent, they're supposed to be, you know, there's all these different things that you should be able to do with them. But if your players uh, have a basis or a sort of psyche that puts them in the D&D mindset, they don't want to trade those things. They don't mm. want to give them away. They want to earn them but not have to spend them, you know, that sort of thing. Mm. Um, and I feel like that's what happens with inspiration, too, because never before in D&D have we had these things we're supposed right. to be giving out. The sa I had the same problem with XP in Numenera that you give out an XP chip or card and the player doesn't want to spend it on something little. They want to save it and hoard it until it's something yeah. major. Yeah, um, it, now it's, in that game, in that game, you t it it also helps with advancement. So there's another reason why they don't want to spend it. Sure, but it's the same idea. It's it's interesting because I, I find a, a few things uh, that I think about as we discuss this that that my issue with inspiration is the exact same as what I'm trying to figure out with these vestiges that I stole from the the Critical Role campaign setting. Uh, is that they're supposed to incur they're supposed to be mechanical features that encourage uh, story and role playing advancement, mm -hmm. right? Right. Uh, and the vestiges are kind of a you know big milestone moments, and then the inspiration is sort of the smaller moments within the game. But they're all sort of looking to encourage the same sort of thing. Um, and and I think you're right. I think there's an element of you play D and D and you don't you're not necessarily always in that mindset, depending on the group dynamics, right? I compare right. it, of course, because this is the other game I've been playing a lot of uh, to Torg. Uh, but Torg has a, a, a card mechanic to it wherein you are actively like the initiative is always like the heroes go, the villains go or the villains go, the heroes go. Right. So you're you're and, and there's no like set who goes first or whatever. So you you strategize and you work out the tactics and you work it out together and you're in, and you've got these cards out that you can use to, to manipulate the, the the action. But you can also play them for other people. And there's big advantages for doing that to pull off the, the great big thing and whatever. Um, so it encourages that kind of mindset a little bit more than traditionally D&D &D has. So the question, I guess, is how do we get that into D&D? &D? Yeah, that is the question. <laughs> and I don't know if we have <laughs> answers. Like, I'm no, I, yeah, I don't, I don't have good answers. I'm, I'm tempted, at least for a small-scale uh, inspiration thing, just to test something out, maybe with this weekend's game. Uh, and this may have been one of the things that came up in Teos' conversation. I, I lost track of it real quick because, um, mm -hmm. you know, life. Yeah. But I'm tempted to, like, start every single player with an inspiration point. To, and then they're encouraged to use them because they know they can't earn any, any more. So play them, and then you can earn another one through through role play and through story advancement and whatever later on. And I'm curious to see how that might play out because it's not a huge bump up in power to have everybody start with one inspiration point, right? Yeah, I mean it's it's not you know, I I just. Yeah, I know several people who just carry them over from session to session, mm. which I think is a problem because then they just keep forgetting about them. They still never use them, yeah. You know, they still never use them. So, you know, my, my thing is, I think, you know, and one thing that started to work with, with my last group was after we sort of realized we really have to push on each other to say, hey, I think that deserves an inspiration, um, then getting them to spend it when it wasn't necessarily a live or, live or die situation – um, I think uh, one of the things I started doing was setting my, my iPhone timer for 10 minutes um, or 20 minutes. I think I started out at 30, actually, but 20 minutes seemed to be the sweet spot. Um, if you don't use that inspiration within 20 minutes, it expires. 
Oh, 20-minute time limit on it? Yeah, 20 or 30 minutes. I mean, it depends on the group, right? Um, and it depends on the kind of session you're having if you're, you know. But, like, playing around just with, uh, you know, it's going to expire and you have to give it back. Mm. And, you know, if I ask for it, you can't suddenly use it. You ha- you just have to give it back. That, right. that sort of makes them realize it's going to go away. Mm-hmm. And they're much more likely to use it almost right away. But then, then I thought, well... So do you have to keep multiple timers I, going at the same time? Uh, I mean, no. I mean, I only had three players by that time, so okay. it wasn't a major big deal. But, okay. you know, it's it's sort of you, you can even have them set the timer for themselves, mm-hmm. you know. And, or, or maybe I give I give one person inspiration and say, OK, you got a 20 minute timer. But if as, as right. soon as another person gets inspiration, it resets the timer. So that encourages them to to think yeah. through it and, and do that. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the problem with setting a timer on it then is, well, am I artificially causing them to use it then so we're not really getting the true use of it? But right. then I don't even know what the true use is because, <laughs> as you said, this is kind of a tacked on thing and they don't really – like it's – nobody ever talks about it. Right. I think like it, no I, no one from Watsi talks about it. Nobody th- nobody is really showing it in their games. Nobody is writing supplements about or even blog posts about here's mm. how to here's all these different ideas that you could let your players do with their inspiration. Totally. I mean, and I, I gotta I gotta be honest. Like I'm on the side of you know shrug. Yeah. Like you know my game's going fine. I mean I've yeah. I've seen it all in other games, but like you said, like I, I the, the closest thing I saw to it was Thirteenth Age, and I didn't really like it there either. And it well, was way more connected than that. And that's the thing. That I like I like the idea. I like the idea that there's a mechanic to encourage the the story and the role play. Um, but if you can't make it work, you can't make it work, right? I, I'm just curious. It, it feels like there's fertile ground here, uh, and as as Sam is sort of implying, it's not really being utilized. Maybe there's a whole uh, advice episode here in a few months. We can find some some inspiration gurus and get some people on and see if we can figure out how the heck to make this work. So anybody listening out there, if you're if you've got if you know people that are writing about inspiration that have really good ideas, or your people that have really good ideas about how to implement inspiration. I would love to hear it because I think there's there's opportunities here that we may be missing out on. So, but we are over an hour. Uh, it's probably time to go ahead and, and call it good for the. I gotta go to bed. Episode. Mike is very tired. He doesn't need to, he, he doesn't need to eat his ice cream because he already did that during the show. I already ate my ice cream. Right. <laughs> While I was talking, Mike was eating ice cream. When you heard him going, mm, mm, that wasn't him no, responding to me. That mic. was him eating. I was very... <laughs> Every time I took a bite, I muted the mic. <laughs> all right. I think we're going to call that the end of the episode. So thank you all for listening. And if you want to support the show, make sure that you go visit our sponsors, Noble Knight or Dice Envy. But you can also go shopping at Amazon through our affiliate links over at thetomeshow.com. You can go shopping on the DMs Guild with all the fantastic things over there um, through the affiliate links at thetomeshow.com. And you can support us directly at patreon.com slash thetomeshow. Uh, Mike, Sam, thanks for coming on with me again. It's always yep. a good time. Thank you. And uh, say goodbye, guys. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. Bye.